0: Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. 2 Timothy 3. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm, worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women, who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth, just as Janais and Jambros opposed <laughs> Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of deprived minds who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected, but they will not get very far because, as is the case with the, of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from who you learned it and how from infancy you have now known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in christ jesus all scripture is god breathes and is useful for teaching rebuking correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work
1: great thanks connor Jannes and Jambres were the magicians that uh, opposed Moses, according to Jewish scribes. Uh, if it's uh, any, you want to know what's going on there. Uh, let me pray one more time. Father, thank you for uh, your word That is God breathed. Uh, the Holy Spirit has breathed into every word, even the words Jannes and Jambres. And uh, I pray that that breath that you put into those words would come into our lives today, and do us good, and equip us for every good work. Amen. So one of the great temptations in life is to give up. Give up on the guitar. Give up on the course you're in. Give up on your fitness regime or diet. I remember during my first year of university, uh, three friends and I, so four of us in total, decided to do what's in the UK called the Three Peak Challenge. So you start at Ben Nevis in Scotland, the tallest peak in Scotland. Then you go to Scarfell Pike in the Lake District in England. And then you go to Snowdon in, um, in Wales. So you do the three peaks in the three countries in 24 hours. It's kind of an exhausting thing. We did Ben Nevis, got up and down, went to Scarfell Pike, arrived at there about 3 in the morning, <laughs> pitch black, tw- tipping with rain, and uh, it was you know, a tough start, we got to the top, very misty, couldn't see anything, and then we got lost coming down, and fear starts to creep in, and a few little words, you know, biting a bit at each other, that kind of thing, uh, best way to go down, and we spent about an hour on top of a mountain, not sure where to go, and I just remember that feeling of, I just want to give up, you know, not that, that would have helped, but just something got into me, the exhaustion, the discouragement, and the fear, I just want to give up. Uh, Fortunately, the sun started to shine. We found our way down and completed Snowden 23 hours and 30 minutes, so within our 24 hours. It's often the same as a Christian. Great temptation to give up. There's exhaustion. Being a Christian can just feel hard, and you feel a bit beaten up and and worn down. Maybe participating and remaining faithful in a church community, that can just feel hard sometimes, tiring. It's just easier, isn't it not, sometimes just to check out. There's discouragement. Maybe you're disheartened by the lack of transformation in your own life or the lack of your friends coming to have any sense of spiritual appetite for for the bigger questions that Pat was just sharing. And you just think, well, it's just easier to give up, isn't it? Or this fear that if I tell people I'm a Christian and what I believe, well, are they going to reject me? It's just easier to give up, isn't it? From the way Paul writes his second letter to Timothy, we can sense that that's the temptation Timothy has. It's just easier to give up. Well, if you remember the background to the letter, that makes sense. Paul's in prison. He's about to go to Roman trial for the last time, and he's certain he's going to die. He's handing over the baton of spreading the good news and planting churches to Timothy. We learn from chapter 1 that Timothy is from great spiritual background of the Jewish faith and his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice passed on the faith to him. And Timothy was then handpicked by the Apostle Paul on one of those missionary journeys to be in his missionary team. And they developed this close relationship, so close that Paul calls him his son, his spiritual son. They sailed the seas together. They prayed together. They ate together. They planted churches together. They dealt with pastoral difficulties in churches together. They talked together. And Timothy, we know, uh, was a fine leader because of other parts of the New Testament too, but he was younger uh, than maybe most leaders of his day. And uh, he was frequently ill, we learn. He, you know, he wasn't just a healthy and fit all the time. And potentially we see that he was prone to timidity. So Paul is no fool. The aged apostle has wisdom to know. There is pressure on the shoulders of Timothy. And it's just easier to give up, isn't it? And so in chapter 3... Paul tells Timothy, no, you mustn't give up, and I'm going to give you some reasons why. When it feels easier just to go, look, I'm just going to give up being a Christian or trying to stand up for Jesus, here's what you need. This is what the Holy Spirit would say to us today. You need a realistic view of human history, verses 1 to 9 of our passage. You need a robust relationship with Christian leaders you can follow, and you need a reliance on the Holy Scriptures for all things. So keep that passage with you that's in front of you. Let's go for a realistic view of history. Do you see it says there in verse 1, but mark this, but understand this, but know this, but realize this, different ways you could interpret it. Paul stresses that Timothy must know something, and what has he got to know? But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now, when Paul talks about the last days, he's talking about the time from Jesus' ascension into heaven to Jesus' return. So Peter, for example, on the day of Pentecost, famously quotes an Old Testament prophet called Joel and says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So the days between Christ's ascension to heaven and his return. And so the last days aren't just at the end of time, they are now. We are living in the last days, according to the biblical view of history. And Paul gives a devastating critique of what's going to characterize the world and human history. Terrible times. He lists 18 or 19 different things to describe humanity. And notice the start and end. This is the key to the list. Verse 2 and verse 4, the start and end. Do you see it there? People will be lovers of themselves or lovers of money. And then verse 4, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The reason the last days are so terrible is that because instead of loving God and our neighbor, like the Old Testament taught us and Jesus affirmed, We love other things, ourselves, money, pleasure, Paul says. This was St. Augustine's great insight from the 5th century. It's not that we love the wrong things, it's we love things in the wrong order, disordered loves. So instead of loving God and our neighbor, we love all kinds of things first. And Paul outlines when you have your loves in the wrong order, it's not that you're loving the wrong things, you're loving things in the wrong order, God's not first. Then those misdirected love means a breakdown of everything else family, disobedience to parents, a breakdown in community, unforgiving, it talks about, breakdown in our very beings who become proud and abusive. And by, these, by the way, these words are not exaggerations because they're true today as they were in the first century. Even the part about disobedient and ungrateful t- children talk to any school teacher and they will say, Mark this, my teaching days are full of slander, disobedience lack of gratitude, all the rest. This isn't a this isn't harsh view on humanity. This is a realistic view. And it's important to note that it's not just out there in the world. Paul is actually making the point that that becomes in here in the church. And so verse 5, you'll note, he says, "...having a form of godliness but denying its power." have nothing to do with those kind of people. The people that have got into the church and are, are trying to, you know, they go to church every week and they do all the church activities and they look moral and religious, but the power of the Holy Spirit is not there and they're not loving God first. They have a form of godliness, but their life doesn't change. There's no power. And then he's going to talk about, it. we don't have time, janas and Jambres and all the rest, about false teachers that are then trying to jump on the back of it. Why is this? And false teachers are everywhere. In 2 Timothy, he keeps warning Timothy against them. So why is this all important for Timothy then, and for us today? For Timothy needed to know, for certain, that the persecutions and sufferings that Paul and himself now had faced, and the constant threat of false teaching, and the 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 very how easily it's going to be to get discouraged, fearful, and exhausted. He says because of the, the, the challenge of the world and the last days, he says that's not a passing reality, that's a constant reality of the last days as Christians. Mark this, this is what our world is like. Why? Because people are choosing to love other things over than God. And the only thing that will change that is the Holy Spirit who changes hearts. For us, I think this is hugely important. I think we're very susceptible to being naive and swallowing the message of the world. I I work for a tech company. I mean, you just think that the message that comes out is we're going to change the world. We're going to make the world a better place through technology. We're going to make it a perfect place to live. Now, I'm for progression in society. But we're not changing the human heart. We're not changing what we love through our technology. History shows us that. Our newspapers show us that. The local communities around us. And things will only get tougher for the Christian because a Christian, and Ola put it about baptism, you're saying, Jesus is my first love. Well, then other people are going to go, What? You're, you make decisions very differently from me because I, I, you have a different first love that's ordering your decision making. So here's the point if you don't have a realistic view of the world and humanity and human history, you will be too naive and you'll be tempted to give up too quickly. You'll lack the perspective and perseverance to survive as a Christian, Paul said to Timothy. You'll be too shocked by evil when you meet it. You'll be too wet behind the ears to enter the spiritual battle God has for you. You'll be too easily knocked over when family or friends reject you. You'll be too quickly tempted into the pleasures and comforts of the world at expense of allegiance to Jesus. You'll give up fighting for the church and remaining vulnerable within the church and just give in to, to, you know, opting in and out as you want or whatever's easier. You see, you'll give up making those big life decisions based on seek first the kingdom of God. What's your view of humanity and human history? Paul says, mark this. They're going to be terrible times. It's not passing. It's for the last days. Have you marked it? Or have you swallowed the message of the world? Hey, it's all getting better. The human heart hasn't changed unless it changes by the power of the Spirit. The first thing you need to know to not be knocked over and give in to temptation to give up is to not be naive about the state of our world. The second thing is a robust relationship with Christian leaders you can follow. Look at verses 10 to 14. So verse 10, it says, you, however, verse 14, but as for you. Now, that's the same in the Greek. It's just, but you, it's like you, however, a big change. Timothy, this is the way the world is, and I'm calling you... Or this is the way the world has gone into the church. I don't want to say it's out there. I want to say, you know, Paul's saying it's going to happen inside. I'm calling you to be different. I'm calling you to be a light, but you. And Paul urges him to be different by following his, Paul's, example. So Paul, opposite to the profile of the world, is Paul's profile. He lists nine virtues, which include his morality, his lifestyle and life choices. His vocation, his missionary task, his theology, his teaching, his suffering, which is his experience. And verse 11, just look down there. Persecutions, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. The persecutions I endured. You see, Paul first met Timothy, Acts chapter 13, 14, in Lystra. So when when Timothy first ever set his eyes on Paul, Paul was being pounded by people who wanted to kill him. He says, You know about that from the word go to with you. That's how it's always been. And so we read this. Chapter 14. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won a crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, him and Barnabas left for Derby. You know, they, they, they knock him out. They think he's dead. And obviously, he resuscitates after being knocked out and it goes back into the city. I love Paul. What happens next? They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. See the same words? Strengthen their disciples and encourage them to remain true to the faith. What did Paul say to these early churches when he went back to encourage them? Well, this is a really encouraging message. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Timothy, I've never told you anything but this. You saw my life. You saw they tried to kill me, and I came back into the city and said, yeah, that's the kingdom of God at work. Verse 12, have you ever put this on your fridge? In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I've never seen that on a fridge. Paul says, no, no, everyone. Timothy, you've seen my life, my teaching, my, my sufferings, my persecution, and I've taught you since I first met you in Lystra, and you saw me in I- I- Iconium and Antioch. We're going to be persecuted. Do you want to give up, Timothy? Timothy, remember my life. Remember my teaching. Remember my purpose, my motivation. You've witnessed my sufferings and my persecution, and I didn't give up. And it's not just Paul. In a moment, when talking about the Scriptures. Paul is going to remind Timothy of his female leaders in his life. His mother and his grandmother who taught in the scriptures. Timothy, you've seen the power of God at work in my life, but also your own mother and your grandmother. When you're tempted to give up as a Christian, look to those of the older generation that you say, wow, I admire the way they keep going. It will give you a ballast to keep going yourself when you feel frail and knocked over and knocked around. Remember who's gone before you. Be encouraged. I mean, Hebrew is this great cloud of witnesses. It's the same message. They're urging you on, those who went before you. Applications for us. Let me make three. First of all, there's a lot of Christians who float in and out of church, not just this church, any church, and they never submit to leadership. They don't build their lives into godly leaders and mentors who they can follow and learn from over the years. And without those people, you don't make it as a Christian, Paul's saying. Find them. Learn from them. Build your life into them. Ask them questions. Our culture is so anti-authoritarian, isn't it? We can do it ourselves. Don't tell me what to do. It's a naive view. It's a very naive view. If you want to keep going as a Christian, find older Christians and go, I can look at their teaching, their way of life, their purpose, their faith, their patience, their love, their endurance, their persecutions, their suffering. When I want to give up, I remember them and they keep me going. Secondly, For those of you who are or want to be leaders in in this church or any church, and raising up leaders is one of our big values. We have four of them. That's one of them. Can people look at you and say, no, I know their teaching, their way of life, their purpose, their faith, their patience, their love, their endurance, their persecutions, and their suffering. I feel inspired to Christian faithfulness when it's tough because I look at those people. Now, a lot of us are young so we don't have many years, but that's the goal that in 10 or 20 years, the younger generation looks to us and go, ha, ah, I'm tempted to give up, but look at that lady. She so inspires me. I've seen the sufferings and the challenges and the setback in her life, but I know her love and I know her endurance. Ah, that helps me when I'm about to turn in on myself to keep going. Thirdly, if you're a parent or a grandparent, don't underestimate the role, or an uncle or aunt, if you, you, know, you can apply it wider than Eunice and Lois, can't we? But notice that it's the life and teaching of these two older ladies. They taught Timothy the scriptures, but their life modelled it. So when you're in doubt, uh, so, so, so we must do that to the younger generation too. Pass on the faith and pass on the scriptures. So when they're tempted, they go, no, I know who I learned this from, and I know their life, and I know the scriptures. So a realistic view of human history A robust relationship with Christian leaders you can follow, and thirdly, a reliance on the Holy Scriptures for all things. Just read verse 15 with me. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's not just the power of God at work in your long suffering leaders and teachers. But the power of God at work in the scriptures, that will keep you going. And Paul mentions two main things about the scriptures, their origin and their power. Do you see the origin there? All scripture is, where from? God breathed. And actually, it's one Greek word, and Paul must have made this word up to to help us understand it. Theos and and neo, to breathe, and and, and God. So he's, he's making up a word to help us understand, like bringing two words together. And this idea of God breathing has two very famous Old Testament allusions. Genesis 2-7, God breathed the breath of life into man and, and became alive. The breath of God coming in and giving life. Secondly, Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel has a stunning vision of the exiled Jewish people are like dry bones rattling around in the desert without life. There is no breath in them. And God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to preach the word of God to the bones that they might hear the word of the Lord, and life comes to them, and they come alive. Well, now Paul is saying that the scriptures are what bring life, because they've been breathed by God, and the breath of God is in them. Every word. Every word has the breath of God in them. So Peter puts it like this: the other apostle. For prophecy never had its origin. He's talking about the Old Testament prophets in the human will, but prophets through the human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here is Paul and Peter's view of the Bible. Even though it was written by human authors, and we get the blessing of their context, their creativity, their wisdom, and that's hugely important to understanding Scripture. Humans were involved, ultimately the breath of God came into every part of it. Let me use an analogy. St. Patrick's Cathedral, founded in 1191, the largest church in Ireland, 43-metre spire. It took 79 years to build between 1191 and 1270. Uh, It was built by a man called Henry. Well, he was the architect. Who built the cathedral? Henry, the architect? Or hundreds and hundreds of construction workers over over 80 years? Which? Both. The design and architecture was all in the mind of a man called Henry, but the builders went and did the work. And that's just a helpful understanding of the scriptures. There's one mind behind it all. That's why there has this internal coherence to it. That's why it's one big story, and we'll come to that in a moment. It's all about Jesus. But then humans wrote it down. That's the Christian view of the scriptures. But Paul's main point is not actually to defend the origin authority of the Bible here. He wants to remind Timothy of its power to keep you going when it's tough. Because it's the power of, this, it, these words have power. God's, the universe was made through God's words. God uses words with power. Over, over the last couple of months, I've had the privilege of marrying two people. You know, words have power. I therefore declare that you are, and a new, you know, husband and wife, and a new state comes into being because of a word. Words have power. And so what do these inscripturated words of God have power to do? Well, firstly, verse 15, to make us wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. Paul is affirming what Jesus said about the Old Testament, that all of the Old Testament scriptures are ultimately about him. And if you try and read the Old Testament without understanding that they're pointing forward to Jesus, you're not reading the Old Testament as the apostles and Jesus himself understood it. The Old Testament shows us our sin, and it brings us to our Saviour. Genesis 15:6. Say God says to Abraham, it says of Abraham, Abraham believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Very famous verse. Paul then quotes Genesis 15, 6 in Romans chapter 4 and says, Abraham points forward that we would put our faith in Christ and through that we'd receive the righteousness of God in Christ. So scripture brings us to Jesus to be our saviour. If you don't know Jesus as Savior, I encourage you, read the scriptures. It's all about him and to bring it to him. Secondly, the power, though, is useful for a number of things, not just to bring us to salvation in Christ. Look, it says teaching and correcting. Do you see that in verse 16? All scripture is God-breathing, is useful for teaching and correcting. So that's one of three. So that's about truth. Teach the truth, correct error. And rebuking and training in righteousness, which is about the way we live. Rebuking is saying, no, that's not the way to live, and training in righteousness is the way to live. So creed, what we believe and conduct, how we should live. The power, the Bible has power a usefulness. It is sufficient to cover all matters of belief and practice. One person put it like this. The word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. That's what Paul's saying. He's not trying to defend the scriptures. He's saying just get on and find the power within them that will transform you. So to make us wise for salvation through Christ, to tell us all we need for belief and practice, and thirdly, to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you see that? The servant of God may be equipped. And that word means with nothing missing. In other words, you don't need to go, oh, I need the Bible and something else to be thoroughly equipped as a Christian. No, with nothing missing. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. It will be full. It will, be, you know, it will fully qualify you, fully, fully enable you to be God's servant. Do you remember Jesus facing the devil? The devil came with temptations. What did Jesus do every time? It is written and quotes the Bible. Do you remember Jesus with the Pharisees? They don't like the way who he hangs around with and what he's going and what he's like. And Jesus says, the scripture says. Do you remember Jesus dying on a cross? What does he do my god my god why have you forsaken me psalm 22 father into your hands i commit my spirit psalm 31 he quotes the scriptures jesus knew not just the origin of the scriptures they're breathed by god but their usefulness their power to face spiritual attack earthly enemies and to face your death that's where you go you go to somewhere's power he went to the bible So in terrible times, how does Paul encourage Timothy to stay strong? Remember the power in your long-suffering teachers and leaders, men and women in your life. Secondly, remember the power in the scriptures themselves that lead you to salvation in Jesus, lead you to know what to believe, how to behave, and train you for every good work you're ever going to need. What are the applications? What are so many? And I'm going to limit myself to three. First one, if you're struggling with the trustworthiness of the Bible. I just read this fantastic book by Peter J. Williams, Can We Trust the Gospels? Very readable, but one of the world's leading scholars. Read it. Be amazed at the trustworthiness just of the four Gospels. Sure, there's other books about the rest of the Bible we could come to. And come on the intro course. Come and ask the questions. Well, how could the Bible say this? Or where did it all come from? What about the manuscript? Come and ask those questions. They're important questions. But it's not just the intellectual side, is it? Do you remember Genesis chapter 3, verse 1? The first words of Satan in history. Anyone remember them? Did God really say? first words of Satan in history is to get us to doubt God's word. That's why Jesus, when tempted tempted by Satan, comes back and says, no, God did really say. And it's always been that way. It's not just an intellectual thing. There's something spiritual. There's an attack And that is why Paul is saying, no, no, remember the power of these scriptures. They are all you need for the battle. And Satan's main weapon is to go, I'm not sure God really said that. And then we have to go, no, it is written like Jesus did. Secondly, the scriptures in the home. Uh, We have lots of new parents in this church. And uh, I hope you're inspired by Lois and Eunice, the mother and grandmother. And we'll get into a regular routine of reading the scriptures in your home with your children. Here are the ones that Leanne and I have used over the years. Just to show you, you need to be creative. You need to think at different ages. Like there's ones that have pop-outs. The Jesus Storybook Bible is actually brilliant for adults. I'd recommend that. Here's another one we read. You'll learn a few things from that one. Uh, We're just doing this one now called Jesus Calling. It gives you 300... When our kids are now 8 and 10, it's it's a bit further on. And we just love this book called You Are Special. Other books that help us understand grace, for example. So it's just a way of example. You've got to be on the front foot as a parent thinking, what am I doing to make sure that as my kids grow, particularly past the ages of two and three when they can engage, I've got something and we can help you. Don't neglect your role to get the scriptures in the home. Thirdly, the scriptures at work within us. Our vision as a church, we're coming to our vision Sunday, next Sunday, but this is a whole vision series, is to make an impact for Jesus in this city. In every way that we can, in every way that He would use us. At the heart of that, we have to have the Word of God. Otherwise, it's just humans making a difference. But if it's God's Word that's informing us and empowering us, then we'll make a difference for Jesus. So I love the way um, that uh, Paul puts it in another letter to the Thessalonians, and we also thank God continually because when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the Word of God. Listen which is indeed at work in you who believe. The work that is in us that is doing its work. And so um, the word has a power to do its work in our lives. And uh, it should change us. And so for City Group Sunday, our city groups, they typically, not always, but typically take the Sunday sermon and go, now let's work it in to our lives. The sermon is not just a nice idea, but it's let's get it into us now. And make sure it's right in. And so we share it and reflect on it in our city groups. Typically, maybe fortnightly, your city groups might do that. And personally, think about how you can get the scriptures into your personal life. Here's a page that I've listed on our website. Prayer Getting Started is what it's called. Uh, you can just search it in, in, in Google, Christ City Church, Prayer Started. And there's a big list of resources of how you can make sure you are getting the Bible into your daily routine. There's a book called The Love of God by Don Carson. There's Through the Bible Through the Year by John Stott. There's Praying the Psalms, a very short thing, these five minutes a day with Eugene Peterson. I have two of them on my, uh, three of them I've used over the year on my, uh, on, if you're more digitally minded. Uh, one called My Rock and Refuge, one called, uh, One about the Proverbs, and then this lovely one called Everyday Prayers, 360 Days to Gospel-Centered Faith by Scotty Smith. It doesn't matter what you use in one sense, but just think about how you can get the Bible into your daily life, and there's lots of resources there. I, I labour the point because now it's in your hands you got to go, what should I use? Well, there's a whole website which has got lots of resources, different levels, different stages, and do come and speak to me. And on our weekend away, we're hopefully going to get lots of resources for you. So, let's bring this to a close. It's tempting to give up as a Christian, tempted to just play, to take a back seat and watch from a distance. Um, what's going to keep us going? How do we as a church keep going for not five years, but 500 years? I mean, of course, it'll all be different people and all the rest, but how do we keep going? We have to have a realistic view of human history, a robust relationship with Christian leaders you can follow, and a reliance on the Holy Scriptures for all things. So where are you in the battle? It is a battle. Are you in it? Have you said to Jesus, I'm in? If you haven't, I mean, thanks for coming. Why not? Can I just ask you, why not? Why haven't you said to Jesus, you're in? What's stopping you saying, Jesus, I want in for this battle where you're my first love? Is it intellectual? Is it personal? Is it both? And maybe let me ask you this. Can you sense the power of God at work in his word, even now? It's called the Holy Spirit at work. And you think, oh, I can't. I've got to stop resisting. Stop resisting. Come to salvation that's found through the scriptures in Christ. Come to the intercourse. Come and speak to me. Secondly, have you stagnated in the battle? It's not you've left the battle, but you're not moving forward you're stuck in a rut, you, you know that discouragement, you know that fear, you, you know what Timothy was feeling, and you're a bit frozen, there's adversity, there's exhaustion. May these encourage you that this is normal, and you're not, you know, being weary, is, it, it, that's part of the Christian life at times. And look to those leaders, and look to the scriptures, and remember chapter one, fan into flames by the gift of the Spirit. Uh, keep going. Ask God today to say, Lord, I don't want to get stuck in a rut in the battle, I want to keep moving forward for you. And thirdly, do you need supporting in the battle? Are you weak? Have you taken a pounding from the evil one? Do you sense the discouragement of fear and exhaustion kicking in? And you go, I don't want to stagnate. I don't want to drop out of the battle. But that's what city groups are for. City groups are small communities of people that say, We know the battle's hard. That's why we need each other. And we commit to each other to get to know one another, to love each other, to pray for one another, to send those messages when you've got that stressful thing at work or in college or whatever. We are with you in the battle. That's what City Group Sunday is about. As a church, we want to keep moving forward. You can't do it on your own. Plug in. I urge you to do that. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this great letter full of power. And we thank you that your words, your inscripturated words, the breath that you put in through the human authors. We can receive today that same power by the Holy Spirit. And uh, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here, for those who are not in the battle because they haven't signed up for Jesus. Lord, speak to them. May they be open to you and draw them to that place so they can repent and believe with joy because they know they're giving their life to someone who's trustworthy and someone who conquered death for them. I pray for those who know they've stagnated. Lord, may there not be now the added spiritual attack of condemnation and regret all from the devil the lies of the devil we you know we're hopeless Lord, lord they resist those thoughts and say no today is a fresh day of grace today's a day to get moving and for those that need support and feel weak lord may they find us in this church and may they find in you and may they find in their uh, the, the mentors in their life and may they find in the scriptures the power they need to keep going so lord keep us going And keep us going with the scriptures. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.